There are few more perplexing questions of the Bible than this. If he knew that he would betray him in the end, why did Jesus choose Judas as a disciple to begin with? The perplexing question comes in specifically from a podcast listener named Austin. Hello, Pastor John. I've been studying through the book of John lately, and I began to wonder why Jesus chose Judas to be one of his disciples in the first place. And what does Jesus have to teach us by choosing someone to be his disciple, knowing full well he would betray him? Are there any takeaways for us in this? John 6.64 says, Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So, Austin's question is biblically based and urgent. Jesus chose his own betrayer to be part of his apostles. Why? I'm going to give five answers that I see in the scriptures for why God ordained and Jesus chose Judas, the betrayer, to be part of his team. First, because the Old Testament scriptures prophesied that this would take place. So Jesus chose Judas to fulfill the scriptures. John 13, 18, Jesus says to his apostles, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. And then he quotes uh, Psalm 41, verse 9. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 1, verse 16, says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Step by step, Jesus moved toward the cross, taking pains to fulfill every scripture concerning his death, right down to the details of how he would be handed over. The point was to show the scriptures cannot be broken and God is in control. Second, by choosing to be betrayed by a close friend and even by a kiss, Jesus shows us that the most despicable act in the history of the world, the betrayal and consequent murder of the Son of God, was part of God's saving plan. That's explicitly said in Acts 4.27, that by his hand and his predestination, these things took place. In other words, the lesson of Judas is that the most horrible sins in the world are used by God for his saving purposes. Just when people think they're getting the upper hand, they find that their hand is serving the very one they are opposing. That's a great lesson for us to learn. Third, by choosing from the beginning an apostle who was destined for apostasy and destruction, And by including him in his closest relations, and by giving him power over unclean spirits and over diseases, Jesus shows us that religious associations and religious practices and miracle working are no sure evidence of being born again. 
Matthew 10, verses 1 to 4, describe the choosing of the twelve. It names Judas and says, Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Judas walked with Jesus, ministered with Jesus for three years, and he worked those miracles. So Judas becomes a vivid illustration of the people in Matthew 7.22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? That's Judas and many, many other people in history. And then Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What a vivid lesson to learn that right doctrine, Lord, Lord, we know who you are. We, we, think we got our doctrine right. Lord, Lord. And religious activity and miracle working. We've cast out demons. We've healed people. Prove nothing about saving faith and being born again. That's the lesson of Judas. Hmm. Fourth, Judas serves as an illustration that predestination and human responsibility go hand in hand. Judas' destiny was set before his betrayal. Jesus said that he kept all his disciples from apostasy except Judas, the son of destruction, John 17, 12. In John 6, 64, it says, Jesus knew from the beginning who it was who would betray him. And then Jesus explains in the next verse, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. In other words, Judas didn't repent because it was not granted to him by the Father. His destiny was sealed. And yet, he was guilty, really guilty, really accountable, really blameworthy. He was really responsible for what he did. He himself said in Matthew 27, 4, I have sinned. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. So we learn from Judas not to stumble over the fact that a person may be destined for destruction and yet totally responsible for what he does. Hmm. And finally, number five, Judas serves as a vivid example of the terrible, terrible power of the love of money and how it blinds us to what is true and beautiful and valuable in this world. In John 12, 4 to 6, when Mary anointed Jesus, Judas said, oozing with hypocrisy, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And John comments, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having the charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Under 
the nose of the very Son of God who would give his life as a ransom for many, whose teachings he had heard for three years, in whose power he did miracles. Judas loved money more than he loved Jesus. That's horrific, unbelievable, unspeakably evil. It should make every one of us tremble at the thought of the power that money has in our lives to blind us to what is true and beautiful and precious. So when Judas got his chance, 30 pieces of silver is all it took to sell the very Son of God. I'm sure there are more answers to Austin's question, but these are at least five answers that I see in the Bible as to why God would ordain and Jesus would choose that a betrayer be included among the apostles from the beginning. One, to fulfill Scripture. Scriptures cannot be broken and God is in control. Two, even horrific sins serve the saving purposes of God in his sovereign plan. Three, time with Jesus and miracle working are no proof of saving faith. Four, predestination and human accountability go hand in hand. And five, the love of money is behind the worst sin in the world. Amen. John 12 is an incredible text for a lot of reasons. Mary pouring out her wealth on the feet of Jesus reminds me of APJ 1499, titled, What Does Freedom from the Love of Money Look Like? Freedom from the Love of Money Looks Like Mary at the Feet of Jesus. One of my all-time favorite APJ episodes. Check that out. That's episode 1499 on what it looks like to be free from the love of money. You can find it at our online home at desiringgod.org forward slash John. And there you can send us your own questions, search or browse all 1,600 of our past episodes, or subscribe to the podcast. Well, we're going to break for the weekend, but Lord willing, we plan to be back with you on Monday. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. Thanks for listening to the Ask Pastor John podcast with longtime author and pastor, John Piper. Have a wonderful weekend.